right, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer right now. Our Father, you have brought together and assembled this particular congregation for this morning. And Lord, every single person in this room, whether we realize it or not, has some special needs today. So I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would minister to all of us, that that Holy Spirit that indwells the temple that is called our body, that you have given to us, that you prepared for us in our mother's womb and have nurtured all these years, that, Father, that Holy Spirit of yours that lives within us will guide us, direct us, meet our needs, show us what your will is. God, we need to see it. We need to hear from heaven today. So we pray that you would speak to us through your word, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Thank you, and please be seated. And while you're doing that, I got to meet some visitors, and maybe it's the first time you're visiting. I'm not sure. Maybe it's the second or third time. If you've never filled out one of the connection cards, may I encourage you to, in a seat back in front of you, grab one of the connection cards and fill it out. And then on the back, if you have questions, if you have special need that we can help meet that need, if you have a, a prayer request, you can fill that out. Uh, but go ahead and do this and then turn it in in the very back to the left of the doors as you leave. There is a box on a stand, a brown box on a stand. That's an offering box for the members. But for visitors, uh, we want you to fill this card out and put that in there. If you would, it would mean a, a lot to us. Let me give you a couple of announcements, just a couple of things. First of all, welcome also to those that are on YouTube uh, or uh, Facebook, either one. Thank you so much for uh, getting the service today. We hope that sometime soon you'll be able to come and visit with us in the house. Today we'll be preaching, the Lord willing, on the early prayers of Jesus, and then we'll be having Holy Communion at the end of the service. So it's a good idea because the Bible says that we're, we're to examine our hearts Make sure that there's, if there's any unconfessed sin, that we make it right with God. Uh, so at the end of the service, the goal is for everybody who knows the Lord as their personal Savior to partake of the, the juice and the bread uh, and uh, to, to think about the one who gave his all for us. Uh, and it's not to let the elements go by because you still got something that's not resolved. Get it resolved during this service and then participate. Saturday, Dan, we're going to have uh, the prayer breakfast for the men, 8 a.m. Panera, uh, 8 a.m. at Panera. So hope you'll be there for that, guys. Bring a guy with you. Check the bulletin. We've got four or five Bible studies going on, mostly for ladies because ladies are a lot more spiritual than guys are. Let's just face it. Tell it the way it is. But uh, check the times and places, and I'm sure you would be welcome at any of them. Check our bulletin for those issues. And then once more, one more time, I want to mention uh, the Silent Voices ministry to pregnant women who uh, were, maybe had considered uh, abortion, but now they're going to let their babies be born. Um, they're in need. They've got plenty of diapers, so we got that figured out. So the onesies, the little sleeping sleeper things they have, the onesies and blankets are the things that we really need right now, and those will be taken over uh, later this week. All right, I've got a, oh, one other thing before I get to that. Uh, we did get some more, last week we had Vernon Brewer uh, talking about persecuted Christians and uh, the newest book that he had written just came out last week. We ran out. We now have another about dozen uh, copies of it on the back table. Gary has them for any offering at all or no offering. If you can't afford to give anything but you want the book, pick it up. Whatever comes in for this will go right on to uh, the World Help, and they're helping the persecuted church. So 
uh, getting Bibles into the hands of Christians who otherwise wouldn't have them. Uh, so check those out, and there are, like I said, about a dozen more copies if you need that. Now, here's, here's what my bulletin is for this week. Uh, it's entitled, The Perfect Pastor. <laughs> no laugh necessary right there. That, I haven't said anything funny yet, all right? The perfect pastor preaches expositionally and fully develops every sermon he preaches, and he only preaches 10 minutes long. <laughs> Secondly, he condemns sin roundly but never hurts anyone's feelings. Third, he works from 8 a.m. until midnight every day and is the church janitor. He's also on call 24 hours a day. The perfect pastor makes $400 a week, wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and donates $300 a week to the church. The perfect pastor is 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. <laughs> Number six, above all, he's handsome. Number seven, the perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers and spends most of his time with the senior citizens. <laughs> he smiles all the time but uh, with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to his church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office, so if somebody drops by, he'll be there. The perfect pastor always has time for church committee meetings. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. Summary, if your pastor does not measure up, simply send this notice to six other churches that are tired of their pastor too. <laughs> then bundle up your pastor and send him to the church at the top of the list. If everyone cooperates, in one week you'll receive 1,643 pastors. <laughs> one of them should be perfect. Have faith in this letter. One church broke the chain and got its old pastor back in less than three months. <laughs> so the P.S. is, I'm not even close to perfect, but I love you all anyhow. So thank you all for being here this morning. Let's continue to worship the Lord today. Would you stand with us, please?
That song is a sermon. That'll preach. That really would. Feel forgiveness. Can you can can we fully comprehend how amazing God's forgiveness is for us? That all the sins that we've done, all the times we've rebelled and broken his commandments, and he has forgiven them through the shed blood of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's as if we had no sin. That's what justification, just as if. We had no sin, justification. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done for all of us. You may be seated, and would you turn to Luke chapter 3? Luke chapter 3, while all the adults are turning to Luke chapter 3, boys and girls, I need to find out where you are, so once again, help me out. Right back there, over there, over there, two of them over there, a couple right here, yeah, yeah, young kiddos right there, and okay, anybody else? All right, listen up, boys and girls. Everybody got your hear, your ears on? Let me see your ears. You got your ears? Yeah, okay. He's got. All right, we got him. We got our ears. How many of you boys and girls have ever, ever heard of the guy named Johnny Appleseed? How many of you have heard? Shira's heard of him. All right, good. All right. I, and how, do you realize he lived a long, long, long time ago? He lived in a state called Pennsylvania. And when he was in Pennsylvania... The pioneers were starting to go west in covered wagons, and so he was really wanting to help people. He just loved people, and he wanted to do something to help all these pioneers as they were going west to discover new lands. His name, real name was Johnny Chapman. All he had, though, he was super, super poor, and all he had were some apple trees on his farm. And, and, and so he would go into the apple trees, and he would gather up the apples, and he would save the seeds. And one time he had a whole bag full of seeds. And so Johnny, Johnny Chapman began going west with those bags of seeds. And he would, he would get to places where he thought, this would be a great place to plant apple seeds so that they'll make apple trees so that we can have apples like in this bushel basket right down here. And so he would plant them as he went along going west, and then he would run out of apple seeds, and he would stay with some pioneers, and they would give him some more apple seeds, and when he got enough, he would move on and kept on planting apple seeds, and he became a legend, and he became known not as Johnny Chapman, but as Johnny Appleseed. And to this very day, he is a blessing to thousands and thousands, maybe, maybe millions 
of people because of all the apple trees that he planted, and they refreshed weary travelers and farmers. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, boys and girls, we're supposed to do good to others when we have the opportunity. We're supposed to do good for other people when we have the opportunity. So what can you plant? Do you have any apple seeds to plant? Maybe not. But you know what you can plant? You can plant seeds of love and unity and acceptance and hope and care as we travel through this life. Look for ways, boys and girls, to be nice to your parents, to be nice even to your brother or sister. I know that's hard, but look for ways to be nice and nice to your neighbors. Plant as many good seeds as you possibly can. I'm talking to your moms and dads about prayer in a little while, and that's something that we can all do. We can pray. We can pray for those who are sick. We can pray for those who are hurting. We can pray for those who are sad, whatever the reason. We can pray for those who are discouraged. So let me ask you, boys and girls, what seeds will you plant today and tomorrow and the next day and every single day? Who knows? Maybe people will change your name to Johnny Goodseed. Wouldn't that be great? So here's what I want you to do. First of all, we're going to have a prayer for your Sunday school class. So let's, let's bow our heads, boys and girls. Now, Father, we're thankful for every boy and girl here at First Baptist Church. We know you love them so much. We know that you have great plans for their life, not evil, but good things for their life. And I pray that you'd help every one of the boys and girls that are here and the adults, too, to plant all the good seeds that we possibly can, because this is a really troubled world. God, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, boys and girls, I'm going to dismiss your class, but I'm going to do it a little bit different. I want you to come down here to the front, and I want you to pick out your favorite apple. I want you to come down here and get an apple, and then go to your class, and you can eat the apple. You can bowl with it. You can... Don't throw it at anybody. But <clears throat> Come on, get an apple. There you go. Those are good apples, I can tell you right now. All righty. Here's our youngest apple gatherer here. Very good. Oh, we got two. That's good, yeah. Already got a bite out of one, too. That's all right. All right, moms and dads, Luke chapter 3, please. Luke chapter 3. And you know what? I was, don't you love it when God pulls one of his coincidences, God incidences, I call them, and it happened again as I was studying this. I've been studying this sermon, this particular sermon, for the last two or three weeks, kind of polishing it up, getting it ready for today. Well, guess what? My... Uh, devotional reading was all about. It was about the first point in the message today found in all four Gospels. Now, not everything that happened in Jesus' life is found in all four of the Gospels. We have four Gospels that show four different viewpoints of whatever was going on. So they don't all have the same things. Some of them, uh, some, of the, some of the points that happened are only covered by one one of the authors, John, is a, is a great book. It kind of, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, are called the synoptic gospels. They go more hand in hand. The, 
John's gospel is kind of standalone. He has a lot of things that the other three don't have, but even in those other three, there are some that have certain instances and some that don't, but all of them have this first point that I'm going to get to in a minute. This is the third sermon in a series on prayer, uh, on Jesus' prayers in particular. The first one was an introductory lesson, and then the second one was a template or a boilerplate for prayer based on Matthew chapter 6. Uh, so today I'm going to attempt to cover three of his early prayers. I call them early prayers. They were early in his ministry. No doubt he prayed as a little boy. No doubt when he was in the temple with the doctors and lawyers reasoning with them, he prayed. No doubt about that in my mind at all. Uh, as he grew up, he grew in stature and knowledge and wisdom. He no doubt communed with his heavenly father often. But we don't have any record of those things. We do have record uh, of, of a few of his prayers. And so the, the early prayers right now, the first one is at his baptism, and it's in Luke chapter 3. It's also in Matthew and Mark and John, but I'm going to read from Luke 3, 21 and 22. Now, when all the people were baptized, or in the tense here of the verb, had been baptized, when all the people had been baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heavens were opened. Now, one of the other gospels says that, in the gospel of John, it says that when Jesus came to his cousin John for baptism, John said, wait a minute, I need to be baptized by you. I, I know who you are. I know a little bit about the prophecy. I know what happened. I know about the virgin birth. I know when your mother, about when your mother came to see my mom, and, 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 and the, my mom told me that I leapt within her womb for joy. Uh, so I, I know you're special. I need to be baptized by you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, it, it's important for me to fulfill all the law, and it's important for you to baptize me. So so it came to, to pass that when Jesus was baptized and praying, this is the, an instance when he prayed, that the heavens were opened in verse 22, and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove. There's a simile there, okay? It doesn't say it was a dove. It says it was in a bodily shape like a dove, trying to explain perhaps um, what they were seeing there. And a voice came from heaven which said, you are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. Now, here's what happened. John was preaching. He, was, he wore uh, a rather unusual uh, camel hair uh, coat and a leather belt, and he, he ate locusts and wild honey, and he was, a, he was a preacher of repentance. He preached that people needed to repent of their sins and get right with God. Would to God we had John the Baptist on the earth today uh, to preach to the nation, the United States of America in particular. Uh, we need a national repentance we need a national crying out, a national falling on our face before God. We need a national humbling of ourselves before him and seeking of his face and crying out and calling to him. And, but here John came preaching in the wilderness areas. He didn't make it real uh, easy for people. They had to travel out to, the, to these arid wilderness places. And, and there the, it wasn't uh, church buildings. It was, it was a, a, a big open area. And he, he would preach with those uh, lungs uh, afire with the, the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And, uh, and people got saved. People repented. The Bible says they got baptized confessing their sins. When's the last time you saw someone get baptized, they went in confessing their sins and came out confessing their sins? That'd be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? I'd kind of like, I'd get some good sermon material if, if we could do it that way. But anyhow, the Bible says that the people were baptized by John showing uh, as a symbol, outward symbol, their repentance. And baptizo is the word used. And the, the word baptizo 
is a specific word. That's the Greek word. That's what it was recorded as in the original languages. And it means to dip or immerse or submerge for religious purposes. So there was, this baptism was a, an immersion for a religious purpose. purpose to, it also means to overwhelm, saturate, or to baptize. Washing was frequently um, referred to by immersion. And, and there are two different words, baptizo and nipto. Uh, and, and it has the idea of putting underwater. So that, that what happens when uh, what happened when uh, King James commissioned the translation of the Word of God into English? Um, what happened was they got to the verses about baptism, and King James was an Anglican and believed in sprinkling, and he also had dungeons for people who didn't agree with him on certain things. And so the theologians came to this translation of baptizo, and they said, uh, now, should we write in here that it means to immerse? And if we do that, what's going to happen to us? And so what they did do was make up a new English word called baptize or baptism. Rather than translate, it means immersion, they made up a new word. Uh, so this indicates this total immersion <clears throat> or submersion of a person for religious purposes uh, as an act of, uh, of repentance before John the Baptist here. Now, I was baptized by immersion. This is our baptistry. Not all of them are like this. Some of them are up in here and, uh, in a larger building. Some, you can baptize. We baptized in the ocean. You can baptize in a lake. We baptized in streams. We baptized in ponds. I baptized one guy in his bathtub because he was unable physically to come to the church building. I baptized people uh, using a, a that were not able to walk, carried into the water by other people, and then baptized them, and, and they were carried back out, but we fully immersed them. Now, we don't baptize babies because I'm not into fully immersing babies. Can you understand that? Can I get an amen there? Yeah. Everybody got, got that, right? So we do dedicate babies, and it's really kind of a parental dedication, isn't it, really? It's the saying, the parents are saying, we want to raise our child to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Now, I often say uh, later on, when we moved away from the church where I was saved and baptized in, um, we went to another community, and there there was not a Baptist church, so I started going to another church that I will not reveal the denomination of which it is, and uh, there I went through confirmation, so I was sprinkled. So I'm covered. <laughs> I've, I've been immersed. I've been sprinkled. Uh, I guess I need to be poured also. I'm not sure. But uh, in the text, in this text, the people, as well as Jesus, were fully immersed as an act of obedience and as a symbol of the death, burial, and the resurrection. You go down to the water, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's a double symbol because it's also a symbol of the old nature that's baptized, that died. We died to self, crucified in Christ, and rise to walk in, the, in a new life. So it's a double symbol. Now, baptism is not necessary for salvation. I want you to know that. You don't have to be water baptized to get into heaven. Uh, the, the prime example, anybody know who it was? The thief on the cross. Yeah. Being crucified with Christ, at first both thieves 
uh, a railing on Jesus in the center cross, and, and they're, they're under the same fate, and yet they've joined in with the crowd at taunting Jesus and belittling Jesus, and, uh, and, and, and suddenly the one becomes more quiet and begins to realize the gravity of his situation and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what did Jesus say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. When did he get baptized? I must have missed that. When did he join the church? I must have missed that too. When did he give money? Don't think he did. What he did was put his faith in Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as the Master, as the Redeemer, as the Messiah that the Jews had been looking for since the Garden of Eden, actually. So it's not necessary for salvation. It is necessary for obedience. Now, here's something else. Jesus, was when he was baptized, you know how old he was? Anybody know? 30 years old. About 30 years old. Uh, in Luke chapter 3, verse 23, the first part, Jesus himself being, began to be about 30 years of age. So I'm not sure if it's exactly, but it says there about 30 years of age. And guess what that is? That's the age that priests entered the public ministry for the temple and the tabernacle. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 47, it says, From 30 years old and upward, even unto 50, everyone that came to do the service of the ministry and the service of the burden of the tabernacle of the congregation. So from 30 to 50, uh, they, were, they were entered into ministry, and then they were termed out. This is not the Old Testament. Don't be terming me out, okay? I'm, I'm a little bit over 50. And I want to, well, maybe a whole lot. I want to stick around. Yeah. It's also when David began to reign publicly in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4. So this idea of 30 years of age is important. It's also when Joseph began his rule over the nation uh, of Egypt, uh, second in command. It's also when Ezekiel, in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 1, uh, begins to become prominent in the Old Testament. Now, uh, so Jesus was not baptized as a baby, he was not baptized as a youth, not even at 12 years of age in the temple. Was there any baptism that we know anything about? He was an adult, and he was not ashamed to submit to baptism. He was willing to be obedient. So, And then it says, after he was baptized, he prayed. And this is the first prayer recorded in the New Testament. Now, the words of the prayer are not recorded, but it's the first instance of him praying in the New Testament after he ended the ministry, and he's getting ready to go into the mother of all temptations in the wilderness. For 40 days, he would fast. 40 days, he would not eat solid food. 40 days, he would not drink anything but water. 40 days uh, a fast in the wilderness. And so uh, he was tempted by Satan, and, and he offered this prayer before entrance into the service of full-time ministry. I would have loved to have heard the prayer, wouldn't you? I'd love, Billy, I'd love to know what he said entering. I know what I said when I entered, when I submitted to God's call to, to ministry. Uh, I know the things that I said. I don't know what he prayed, but we know a little bit about what happened after he prayed. Because the Bible says the heavens were rent or opened, okay? They were torn. The, the heavens were torn apart. Uh, and this is always an apocalyptic event. Anytime the heavens uh, are disturbed in some way, it's an apocalyptic thing, a divine revelation, in other words, in Scripture. And so the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove, that simile again, in, in a figure of speech, upon him rather than 
within him, okay? It came upon him rather than within him. Now, this is the first mention of the Holy Trinity. And I just, this little symbol here, uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. The Father, uh, Lord of all, uh, the Son with the nail, nail prints in his hand symbolically, of course, and then the dove symbolic of the Holy Spirit and the little, uh, I think that's an Irish symbol of some kind referring to the Trinity. I'm not sure. Anybody, anybody Irish here know, know what that is? Yeah. You know it? No. Okay. All right. I don't either. <laughs> now, this is an explanation. Of, look, look. Can the finite understand the infinite completely? In order for the finite, you and me, to understand the infinite God completely, we would have to be God. Because the infinite, by definition, goes so far, so much farther, or further, either one, further and farther, than the finite. So here you have uh, God in the middle. Okay, this is God. God is the Father. God is the Son. God is the Holy Spirit. You can go back to the other way. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. The Father is God. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Son. The Son is not the Father. But the whole totality is God. We're talking about an infinite being trying to use finite English words to describe a doctrine that is beyond our comprehension. But this is the first mention of the Trinity, the Holy Trinity. All three persons of Godhead were present at the same time in the same place in Luke chapter 3. There's the Son coming up out of the water. There's the Holy Spirit coming down in the form of a dove upon him, lighting upon him. And there's the booming voice from heavens saying, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is a this, the Holy Spirit, by the way, is called a theophany. A theophany. It's God revealing himself in some form or fashion. The Shekinah glory was a theophany. Uh, the, 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 the entity that Jacob wrestled with was a theophany. So here, uh, this theophany, visible, physical, uh, be, visible manifestation of God was shown, and Jesus was baptized. Now, look, you gotta, you got to remember... God had been silent pretty much for 400 years. The people of Israel had turned their back on the Messiah, turned their back on God. Almost the whole Old Testament is, is a record of that, turning away from the one who gave all for them, who chose them, had a plan for them, had a, had a, a formula for absolute spiritual and physical and financial success, and they rejected him. <clears throat> so for 400 years... God was silent. During those 400 years, they lost complete autonomy. They were under Roman rule, under Gentile rule. And now after 400 years, something was about to happen. And it began, you might say it began with the announcement to Mary about the virgin birth, citing Isaiah chapter 7. <clears throat> but for sure it happened here at the baptism when the heavens were rent open and the dove descended, and the Holy Spirit uh, in the form of the dove, and Christ the Son of God, and the Father right there. So something was about to happen. The anointing of the Messiah 
for us public ministry is what took place. The disciples, by the way, would also be similarly equipped in the days to come. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, Jesus said these words, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So Jesus is about to leave the earth, and he tells his disciples, Now tarry and stay in Jerusalem until the promise that I give you, the, the, the promise of my Father, the undoing of power, special power, come upon you. Folks, look, evangelism is not a work of the flesh, okay? Evangelism is, I can't talk anybody into heaven. I can't convince anybody they're sinners and that they need to be born again. I, that's the Holy Spirit's job. And we've got to go out in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're, going to, if you're going to try to win someone to Christ, you better go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You better have that endowment of power, that, that special presence of God that, that causes people to become to fall into conviction because of their sins. And then it happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise from the Father, which he said, you've heard of me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. And when they were therefore come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. You see a billboard saying the Lord's coming back October the 15th, 2021? You can know one thing for sure. He's not coming back October the 15th, 2021. No man knows the day nor the hour. But you shall receive. He says, it's not for you to know the times and seasons which the Father has put in his own power, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, under the almost parts of the earth. So when that special endowment of power, when the Holy Spirit of God... You see, this is transitional time, okay? This is transitional time. Things were changing. Uh, I mean, the Holy Spirit would come upon people uh, in the Old Testament and then leave them, and come upon people and then leave them, and come upon them for special... Samson, who was as carnal as they get, okay... I mean, Delilah and all the other flings he had and all the other flames he had and all the other problems he had, Uh, the Holy Spirit would come upon him and he would have great power to do amazing things. And so now in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit suddenly was going to not be coming upon people, but was going to reside within them. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of Almighty God. Wherever we go, we take the Holy Spirit of God with us. Now, just as an aside, that ought to kind of dictate what kind of places we go. Do we want, do we want the Holy Spirit in certain places where we frequent, where we have been, or not? But anyhow, this transitional time. So he said, wait, and, and after the Holy Spirit's come upon you, then, then you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, right where you are right now, right where it all started, in Jerusalem, and then Judea, kind of spreading out to the countryside and the counties around, and then in Samaria, which not only was a little bit of distance away from where they were in Jerusalem, but more importantly, was socially a different place because they were outcasts. They were not looked upon with favor by the Jews. But he says, you're going to go to them anyhow. You're going to be witnesses in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You're going to, you're going to spread out from there. 
and you're going to take the gospel with you everywhere you go. So my question to you, ladies and gentlemen, assuming you're born again, assuming you've received Christ as your personal Savior, have you been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God? I know there are different doctrines about that. I know, I know not everybody agrees on everything. I know there's, there's your opinion and the right one, which is mine. I know that. <laughs> Billy, assembly of God background, right? Holiness background. Someone says, can somebody, holiness background, get to heaven? If they don't get too excited and run right past it, I don't, I don't <laughs> doubt that they will. And by the way, Baptists could use a little bit more excitement. See? They sing that song, shout, shout the name, shout the name. It's not shouting the name. Need a little, little Baptocostal power going on here. That'd be all right with me. Have you received the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God? Do you, do you go in the power, in your own power? Do you go throughout your day in your own power? Do you go out throughout the day in the power of the Holy Spirit? Are you asking God what, he sh- what you should be doing? Are you asking him for direction and, cl- and clarity? Is God's power manifested in our lives? Father said, you're my beloved son. And that was a quote from Psalm 2, 7. Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, by the way. And then he says, in whom I'm well pleased. That's a quote from Isaiah 42, 1. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, mine elect, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. That's the first prayer in one of his early prayers that he prayed. Secondly, is after the healing of a man of leprosy. And we kind of touched on this uh, a year or two ago when we were talking about miracles, and we had that series on miracles. But in Luke chapter 5, verse 12, it came to pass when Jesus was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy. And the way this is constructed in the original language meant it was an advanced case of leprosy, obvious obvious open wounds, very infectious, very dangerous position. Uh, We might compare it in a way to stage four cancer, really, really a serious stage of leprosy here, who seeing Jesus fell on his face, he bowed down and besought him, begged him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean. He wasn't questioning Jesus' ability to heal him. He was questioning, he wasn't sure whether Jesus wanted to heal him or not. There's a difference. Lord, I, I, if you will, if you want to, you can heal me. I know that. And, and Lord, and that's true, by the way. Whatever we pray, whenever we pray, we pray. I've got people right now I'm praying for healing for that uh, all the outward signs, all the doctors, everything that's indicated uh, from, from their situation is they're not going to make it. I don't quit praying for him. Your will be done, God. God is a miracle-working God. And so he put forth his hand. Jesus did. He put forth his hand on this individual who was absolutely covered with leprosy in an era when there was no medicinal cure, no doctor's cure. And he put forth his hand and he touched him, saying, I will. I do want to heal you. Be clean. And the Bible says, immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him, Jesus said to the man, 
go show yourself to the priest. Don't tell anyone. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer the, the offering for cleansing according to Moses' command uh, for a testimony. But, and evidently the man didn't heed Jesus' instructions. So many times when Jesus would heal someone and tell them to go to the priest to get everything resolved under Mosaic law, they, they, they would go telling everybody in the world what happened, first of all. So, so much more the, went that, the fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities, and he withdrew himself. And that's something? They came to him, flocked to him by the maybe hundreds, maybe more than that, and he withdrew from them. He got away from them. He had no desire to be known as a miracle worker. He did miracles, but yet that wasn't his main thing. He desired to be known as the Messiah. So he withdrew himself, went to the wilderness, and he prayed. So here's the thing. He withdrew and he prayed. He shrank from notoriety, withdrew, and prayed. Both verbs, withdrew and prayed, those two verbs, are both indicating continuous action. He kept withdrawing. He kept praying. His prayers, we don't, again, we don't know what he prayed here. We don't know the words, but his prayers were continuous. He didn't stop praying. They were habitual. In the midst of a very active and busy ministry, he became bombarded with requests from he, of healing from every quarter, so much so that all he had time to do was to continuously pray to be able to keep up with all. Here's a repeat from last week or two weeks ago. I got up early one morning and rushed right into the day. I had so much to accomplish, I didn't have time to pray. <laughs> I've been there. Troubles just tumbled about me and heavier came each task. Why doesn't God help me, I wondered. He answered, you didn't ask. I tried to come into God's presence. I used all my keys at the lock. God gently and lovingly chided, why, child, you didn't knock. I wanted to see joy and beauty, but the day toiled on, gray and bleak. I called on the Lord for the reason he said, you didn't seek. I woke up early this morning, and I did, and paused before entering the day. I had so much to accomplish that I had to take time to pray. Jesus' productivity, Jesus' miracle working, Jesus affecting the world the way he did was tied to his praying. Praying is very hard work. It's the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I do. I, I don't know if you have a problem like that. It is so hard. It is so hard. I'm, I'm like, I've, I've started walking longer distances in the last couple of weeks. And, and so I've been trying, I, I started out listening to you know, spiritual music like you know, Johnny Cash and Keith, <laughs> Toby Keith and, you know, all that kind of real, those theologians sing. And, and, uh, and, and I've recently, got, I start out praying. And so I'll, I'll pray. For, and then next thing I know, it's like squirrel. <laughs> and I'll be, uh, you know, why'd I, how'd I get off? I'm on to something else here. And, and then I'll pray again. And, then I'll, and, and I'll be, it's hard work. It's really hard work. That's why, that's why it talks about getting into your prayer closet. You know, go, go into prayer and shut the door. Get all the squirrels away from you. Keep, keep the distractions from happening. You pray because of 
wilderness of bereavement. You've lost someone you love. How does that ever change in this life? How does it ever change? You face the wilderness of hard decisions. Hard decisions. People deciding right now, do I get vaccinated, do I not? I may lose my job if I don't. But they have convictions, they have beliefs. Hard decisions. Do we live here in the state of California? <laughs> or do we move to somewhere like Texas? I don't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> I used to pick on Texans, didn't I, Donna, all the time. Pick some. There's so much to pick on when you pick on Texans. But I'll tell you what, it's such a, such a politically, oh, wilderness of hard decisions, wilderness of guilt and shame. Hey, there's a remedy for that, folks. It's called prayer. It's called forgiveness. We sang about it, a, message, a song in a message, a message in a song. The wilderness of heartbreak because of your kids. Because of your husband, your wife, because of your parents. Wilderness of old age. Yeah. Grown. I don't know. Trust me. The list continues. But praying is necessary. The third instance here, after healing many and casting out devils, in Mark chapter 1, verse 29, after Jesus had left the synagogue with James and John, they went directly, went right away immediately to Simon uh, and Andrew's home. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. Wait a minute, Simon Peter, the first pope, had a mother-in-law. That means he had to have a wife. What? <laughs> now, if you're Catholic, don't get mad at me, okay? I'm just... I'm writing what God wrote down here. I'm, I'm reading it. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever, and they told Jesus about her right away. So he went into her bedside. He took her hand, and he helped her sit up. And then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. Later, she's saying, that sounds about right. I was on my sick bed, on my deathbed. They came in and said, hey, it's time for lunch. You need to get up and fix something for lunch. I'm thinking of a cartoon where a guy says, my wife was so ill, I, I rolled her bed into the, next to the stove so she wouldn't have to exert herself so much when she cooked dinner. <laughs> that evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. There's a difference. Sick, illnesses, and demon-possessed. Difference there. Not all sickness is because of demon possession. There's a separate thing where demons do possess, influence people. There really is. And then there, there are illnesses that come because we're in a broken world, right? Uh, viruses that, that, that God didn't originally make for this world, didn't want for this world, but they come about as a part of, of a fallen world. And so the, the demon-possessed were brought to Jesus, and the whole town gathered together at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. Because before the daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. There he is. That means in the original language, it's to a place where there were no squirrels. <laughs> Not really, okay? But in the application I just made a little while ago, 
he got away from distractions. He went to an isolated place. He loved to pray in the darkness, it seems, before the daybreak, before the sun was up again. I think he must have liked the silence, the lack of distractions, early morning, lack of distractions. The stars were the witnesses to his times of early oblation. So I wonder, was this prayer a prayer of worship to the Father who endowed his Son with such power? I wonder. Or was it a prayer of thanksgiving for answering prayer after prayer and healing people and casting out demons? Or was it a prayer of petition asking for the Father's help for the busy day ahead of him? The answer, probably. Probably all three. The only point he need not apply was asking for forgiveness for sins because my Savior had none. Zero sins. So here we have three instances out of no doubt hundreds where Jesus prayed. So what do we learn today? First of all, prayers are appropriate at times of significant spiritual events. That's why we have prayer at ordination services. That's why we have prayer, rather, at ordination. That's why we have prayer when we baptize. That's why we have prayer when we have communion together. That's why we have prayer when we open up a service. It's important to have, at times of spiritual events, to have God's ear and to listen to what he has to say. Secondly, prayers are appropriate when asking for healing. It's all right to pray for God to heal you from a virus, from broken bones, from a bad back from whatever it is. It's, it's appropriate to ask God for healing. And thirdly, prayers are appropriate when facing a busy day that otherwise will be overwhelming. So my question to you now is, in closing is, will we follow his lead and will we pray? Oh, another good time to pray is before communion, confessing our sins to him making things right so that we can remember his broken body and his shed blood and the forgiveness available through him. Our Father in heaven, this service is committed to you. This holy communion table is committed to you. This congregation, Lord, I pray is committed to you. I pray each one of us Commit and submit totally to you. And Father, would you bring to mind right now, would you bring to our minds anything that has not yet been confessed? Any person with whom we are not right and it's in our power to do something to make it right? God, may we seek forgiveness. May we seek revival. May we seek restoration. May we seek recommitment. May we seek your will right now. With every head bowed. A little bit different invitation. Every head's bowed. I'm going to ask you if God's leading you to come forward. If you need to pray, pray at this altar down here. If you want me to pray with you, just guys, let me know. If you want my wife to pray with you, ladies, let her know. We'll give you all just a a few moments to come and do what God's leading you to do right now. Anybody, come ahead right now. 
people are seated, you just stand up, walk to the front, do what God wants you to do as the praise team leads us in one verse right now. If you did not receive the elements, the bread and the cup, uh, if you will raise your hand right now, we'll get those to you as quickly as we can. Just hold it up real high. Hold your hand up real high. Right here in the front, over here. On this section, Gary, over here also. Yeah. Several right in here. Good. Anyone else did not receive the elements yet? Of course, the institution of the Lord's table is found in the gospel accounts. But then Paul gives us a reference to it also in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians as he was writing to the church at Corinth. Because there had been some abuses of, of what was going on, things had gotten out of focus spiritually in that church. There were factions, immorality, it was marriage and divorce, Christian liberties were being challenged, all, all kinds of problems. They were being a, uh, just the whole book, the whole first book is a, is a gentle but loving correction of a church that had, was off course and off track. So when he came to this part in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he said in verse 23, For I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in, when he was, in which he was betrayed, took bread. And then it says, when he had given thanks. So I want us to give thanks. And Billy, I know you don't have a microphone, but would you go ahead and just from where, right where you are, give thanks for the broken body of Christ.
The Bible says when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Think of his broken body. Bible says after the same manner he took the cup saying this is the cup this cup is the new testament in my blood this do as often as you do in remembrance of me the cup is a symbol of his shed blood and Bo would you mind asking a blessing on the cup knowing again you don't have a microphone but just lead us in prayer As often as you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. Think of him. After they had done so, according to the Gospels, they went out into the Mount of Olives. And of course, you know what happened after that. It wasn't long till Jesus was taken prisoner and put through the excruciating time of the pre-crucifixion and the crucifixion itself. But they went out, they sang a hymn, and then went out. So we're going to stand together. This will be our closing Activity of the morning as we sing together. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul as the praise team leads us in that. Join hands as much as possible. richly bless you today. Take him with you as you leave this morning. God bless you. your name.